Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Attention nerds. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, Maybe you can hire the Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And welcome to this episode number 1259. If you're listening to the day it's uploaded, it's a Monday, May 29th. Right next to me is Kimmy. Kimmy! I got one thing! Get it! Hello everybody! Hello everybody! <laughs> Hi there, I am your host, Patrick Riley. That's right, going insane. That's what I do all the time, right, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, they just wheel me in here on a cart, and I have my little, you know, little jacket on and my little mouthpiece, and, and then they take all those things off and let me do the show. Yep. Then it's right back to that. Right, mm-hmm. that's the way it is here as we record from the Arkham Asylum. No, I'm kidding. It's O'Reilly and Kimmy Show. Welcome to a Monday. Today just happens to be a holiday in America. It is Memorial Day. <music> Happy Memorial Day to you if you're living in the United States of America. And thank you for your service or for your loved ones who have served during the past or currently for this country. Kimmy, how is Monday treating you so far? So far, so good. That is great. We're glad to hear that. And glad you made it here being a Monday because Kimmy usually, typically has Monday-itis. That's right. Even though it is a holiday for most in America, it is not a holiday for Kimmy, correct? Right. You're a trooper. You mm-hmm. keep on going, right? That's right. And by the way, something that keeps on going is our website. That's the Riley and Kimmy's website where you can find social media links to, uh, you know, things like Facebook, also YouTube, Twitter, and other social media. Can't forget Instagram. It's there, too. And others. And also, we have video interviews, celebrity interviews, also nerd news, nerd links, and so much more. And by the way, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy show on on Facebook, help the show grow, and other social media too. And if, if you can, please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy Show and have them like our page too. Tell them you found a place that offers pop culture escapism every single day, a variety nerd talk show, new shows, that's right, every day, to help you get away from things or go back in time or just to have some fun for a little bit. That's what the Riley and Kimmy Show is all about. And what is our web address, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com Being a Monday Memorial Day, the question we have for Kimmy, I don't know if she's out to a holiday or you know just off for a little bit here. Got to make sure. Uh, would you like to play Nerd and Pop Culture Geek Trivia, Kimmy? Why, yes. <laughs> I am now being corrected. I said the word geek. Kimmy has banned the word geek from the Riley and Kimmy show because she found out what the word actually means. Well, just 
Google Circus Geek. You'll know why. Yes, uh, she says, please, please don't refer to me uh, or anything on the show as a geek. Okay, well, we'll try to not do that, even though the word geek has got a positive thing to it now, even though it kind of where it's from is not really positive. Matter of fact, not at all. It's just plain old disgusting, isn't it? Well, yeah, when you think about what it used to mean. I think it might still in some parts of the world where oh. that is still... Well, what its original name still may be in parts of the world, not necessarily in this country. Well, here we go, Kimmy. We're going to be asking you some questions from the nerd and pop culture, leaving out that word, timeline of trivia. The timeline has been adjusted. It is not chronological or in linear order. Feel free to shout out answers to Kimmy. We believe in time travel answers, so yell at that laptop, desktop, tablet, smartphone, whatever listening device you happen to be checking the Riley and Kimmy show out on. We are mobile. We are global. You can take us anywhere on planet Earth in any place. That's right. Take us to work. Take us home. Take us everywhere. Just don't get in trouble. We won't tell. I guarantee that. Monday, May 29th, and Memorial Day. Here is the first trivia question for you, Kimmy. Give me the year within five years. Edmund Hillary became the first man with Sherpa Tenzing Norgay to reach the top of Mount Everest. What year did this happen, Kimmy? Um, 1980? 1953 is when that happened. Okay. Moving over to something else that happened on this date in history. Advertising began for this company, Kimmy. Question for you is, when did it begin? Now, we have a little rewind here. This is not the beginning advertising campaign for this company. No, this is not. Kimmy, you give me the answer of when it began for this company. Here's a little rewind to give you a chance to think about it. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing, sing with me. Kimmy, uh, what's the name of the company? Coke. Uh, yes, Coca-Cola, Coke. Now, what year was that from? That wasn't the uh, the beginning of the advertising campaigns for that company. What year, what decade? Let's do better. What decade was that uh, singing? Oh, that's not fair because it was right around 70, right? Uh, yeah, that's, that's the decade of the 1970s right there. That's 1971 when okay. that was first out. Now, when did advertising begin for Coca-Cola? Kimmy, was it in the 19th or the 20th century? Let's say 19th. It was. It was 1886 when it began. Almost 100 years before that singing thing. Hmm. Yes. I don't think they had the singing jingle way back then. Hmm. So on this date, 1942, this person recorded an Irving Berlin song that is iconic, Kimmy. 
You just never hear it this time of year. Tell me who the recording artist is. Here is your audio clue. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Yes, you never hear that during this time of year. Kimmy, who is the recording artist who actually recorded it in a May, in the month of May? Kimmy, who is that that recorded this classic Christmas song in the month of May? Bing Crosby. Yeah, he recorded it in 1942, would become a big hit. It was on this date, 1790, Rhode Island became the last of the original 13 colonies to ratify the United States Constitution. It was on this date, 1848, Wisconsin became the 30th state to join the United States. Now, Kimmy, this person, this political icon, this person who is huge in American history, said the following quote in 1849. Tell me who it is. This quote has been linked to him for probably right after he said it or definitely after his death when they started going through and really uh, researching more about this person. The quote is, you can fool some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. Who said that? Um, P.T. Barnum? No, a lot of people attribute that to him. It is a person known in the world of politics, Kimmy. A United States president said that. Would you like to take another guess? He said it in 1849 before being president. Long before being president. Abraham Lincoln? That's right. It's a quote by Lincoln. But your guess was not off because a lot of people will will guess that. Because the sucker born every minute kind of thing which is not actually something that P.T. Barnum may have said. It's an older term, a gambler phrase, by the way. Uh, but he is accredited to saying the su- you know, sucker born every minute. He actually treated customers extremely well. That was one of the things and why he was a very successful businessman. It was on his date in 1910, an airplane raced a train. Yes, they had a race between an airplane and a train. This happened in Albany, New York, to New York City. Well... Who won, Kimmy? I would imagine the airplane. Yes, the airplane won, and the pilot, now keep in mind, the year is 1910. The pilot, Glenn Curtis, won a $10,000 prize. Hmm. That is humongous. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder who bet on the train. <laughs> now, uh, some of those aircraft, I, I'm not exactly what he was flying for sure, but you know, it may have been able to go about 75, 100 miles an hour, but still it should be able to beat the train, I would think. Mm-hmm. Plus, the train had to wind and stuff. On, uh, yeah. It was on his date in 1916. The official flag of the President of the United States was adopted. It was on his date in 1922. The United States Supreme Court ruled that organized baseball was a sport not subject to antitrust laws. It was on his date in 1951. C.F. Blair became the first man to fly over the North Pole in a single-engine plane. It was 1959, Ray Charles, B.B. King, and Jimmy Reed performed for 9,000 people, give or take, at, well, in Atlanta. It was the first outdoor rock festival, or one of the first. There's debate of if it was the first or one of the first. That was in 1959. It was on this date, Kimmy, in 1963, Del Shannon covered, well, a certain song that would be the first song written by these two iconic composers, 
performers. They would be big in the 1960s. It was the first time they had one of their hits appear on the American charts before they would have material on the American charts. Tell me the name of the writers of this song, which would become a hit identified with them, but they are not the ones who recorded it first for America. Del Shannon had it as a hit. Jimmy, from me to you, written by whom? Who, the two that wrote that? McCartney and Lennon. That's correct, and the Beatles would have that as a hit. Del Shannon had it as an American first hit for America in 1963. Do you think he was trying to imitate them? Do you think he heard some recordings of the Beatles? Hmm, I don't know, maybe. Okay, it was on this date in 19... Well, remember, America would not have be aware of the mm. Beatles that way. 1962, Buck O'Neill became the first black coach in Major League Baseball when he accepted the job with what team, Kimmy? 1962, do you know the team? Mm. It would be a pure guess. I have no idea. All right, pure guess. Um... The Cubs. It is the Chicago Cubs. Oh. 1962, that happened. It was on his date in 1969. The debut album of Crosby, Stills, and Nash was released. It was 1971. This single hit number one in the United States. Identify the song, then the recording artist. Here is your clue. I think that's more than enough. Kimmy, identify the song. Brown Sugar. Okay, Kimmy, now tell me the recording artist. The Rolling Stones. That's correct. I'm actually surprised that song made it on the charts when you actually think about what the subject matter is at the time. Very conservative. And somehow it made it on radio stations across the country. I think they weren't paying attention to lyrics and things like that on some songs. It's interesting the ones they do and the ones they didn't and things like that. Mm -hmm. Moving over to something else happening on this date in history, the year 1972. Tell me who released their version of this nursery rhyme on a rock album. Jimmy, who is that? Well, that sounds like Paul McCartney. And the, the group. The, and Wings? Yes, that's actually a Wings released material there, their version of Mary Had a Little Lamb. Do you have that in your. No, collection? I don't. It was on his day, 1973. Tom Bradley was elected the first black mayor of Los Angeles. It was 1974. This person agreed to turn over 1,200 pages of edited Watergate transcripts. Tell me the name of the president. Nixon. That's correct. It's on this date in 1977 in Baltimore. Elvis Presley left the stage in middle of a concert and did not return. It was the first time he terminated a show in this manner. Elvis has left the building. Unknown why he just, it was over. I'm done. Mm. Done performing. Gotta go. Yep. Just left. Hmm. It was on this date in 1978. 
the United States postage stamp, well, prices were raised 13 cents to 15 cents. 1982, this group released this single, Identify the Song. And what is the name of that song, Kimmy? Eye of the Tiger. And who recorded that? Who made it a hit? Survivor. And what movie was it used in? In one of the Rocky yeah, films. Yeah, I'll, I'll accept that. 1982 Survivor, Eye of the Tiger. It was on this date in 1987. He recorded, or actually his single was released. The single was I Want Your Sex. Who is the recording artist? George Michael. Yes, I worked at a radio station that had that song actually removed from our playlist General manager had that one pulled, but yet he would allow Frankie goes to Hollywood and relax. <laughs> now explain that to me. Mm. Can, uh, I I don't get that. Do you? Uh, no. Okay. It was on this date in and and technically tainted love. If you actually listen to it, it might be a little you know. Yeah. Well, no. George Michael had to go. It was on his date in 1999. The Space Shuttle Discovery completed the first docking with the International Space Station. Moving over to notable birthdays, Kimmy. Tell me who said this. Person was born 1736 on this date. Tell me who said this. A prominent figure in the American Revolution. His big quote, give me liberty or give me death. Tell me who it is. Thomas Jefferson. It is Patrick Henry. Moving over to somebody else born on this date, 1903, Kimmy. Comedian, actor, huge. During the golden age of radio. In film, radio, and then eventually television would tour the world, entertain troops. Had a signature song. Here's just part of it. Identify who the birthday person is. Thanks for the memory of sentimental verse. Nothing in my purse. And chuckles when the preacher said, for better or for worse. Who is that, Kimmy? Bob Hope. That's right. Bob Hope, born on this date, 1903. Kimmy, how old was he when he passed away within one year? 90. He was 100 oh. years old. Died 2003. Next person born on this date, Kimmy. 1917. Identify who it is. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the Earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. And none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. Who is that? John F. Kennedy. That's right, born on this date in 1917. Next person born on this date, Kimmy. <laughs> Tell me what he is known for. His name is Al Unser Sr., Kimmy. He was a race car driver. Now retired, he is the second of three men to have won the Indianapolis 500 race four times, the fourth of five to have won the race in consecutive years. 
Next person we have a question about. Uh, he starred on a certain TV show that I know you're very familiar with. Identify the TV show. General Hospital. That's right, General Hospital. We have a question about one of the stars who's having a birthday today. He debuted on General Hospital in 1978. He played Luke Spencer. Tell me who the person is having a birthday. Tony Gary. That's right. Anthony Gary having a birthday today. How old is he within five? Mm, I'm going to say 64. He is 70 today. Wow. And he's received a record eight daytime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series. Mm. Is he still on that show? I don't watch the show. I don't know. I think he's retired. I think he's done. I'm not not positive on that. Next person, Kimmy. This is impossible music trivia. I mean impossible music trivia. Although I have one that will top it. There's one even tougher coming up. Ooh, I know you're intrigued, aren't you? Kimmy, if you can do this, this is remarkable. This person's having a birthday today. She is 67 years old. Recorded with a group for a period of time, went solo in her 30s. She was 30, not in the 1930s, in her 30s. Had a hit that went to number four on R&B, hit number 24 in the Hot 100. The year is 1984. Identify who this birthday person is. That's your clue, Kimmy. It is impossible. Music trivia. Can you identify who the recording artist is who's having a birthday? No. She sang with the Jacksons. It is Rebe Jackson. Mm. You remember Centipede at all? Oh, okay. The song Centipede. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's what that was from 1984. I think maybe I was like at the only radio station around that played that at that time period. Played it in clubs and stuff. Next person, Kimmy, no audio clue. I don't think you need it. I think you'll know who he is from just the what we're about to say here. Having a birthday today. Tell me how old he is once you identify who he is. He's an American composer, singer, songwriter, best known for his work scoring movies and television shows and for being lead singer and songwriter for Oingo Boingo from 1974 to 1995. Who is it? He worked heavily with Tim Burton, did, mm-hmm. you know, did the Batman theme, and so many others. The Simpsons is his, too. Who is he, Kimmy? I know who it is. Oingo Boingo? Yep. Oingo Bo- yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he yep. sings with, uh, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yes, who is he, Kimmy? I know it. Yeah, you do. Well, tell us. Share with us. Open up. Don't hold back. Give me his initials. D-E. I can't. Danny Elfman. Yep. How old is Danny Elfman within five today? 60. He is 64, so you get that one. Now, Kimmy, we're, we're back to impossible. That wasn't the impossible part two. It shouldn't have been. No, no. Here, definitely, th- this is impossible Music question, 
number two for you. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. This person having a birthday. Once you identify who it is, if you can, tell me how old she is. She's a singer, songwriter, musician. She has barely broken the Hot 100, and I mean barely at times. We have a sample of something that, well, it didn't quite make it on the Hot 100. It hit number 101, but it was number 17 on the dance charts from 1980. Tell me who this is having a birthday. If you feel the funk, by whom, Kimmy? I do not know. All right, it was number 101 on the Hot 100, number 17 on the dance charts. 1980 is a year. It was recorded by LaToya Jackson, who's having a birthday today. How old is LaToya within five? 48. She is 61. Yes, oh. yes, her sister we just talked about has a birthday on the same date. That's Rebe. Mm. Yes, yeah. Oh. Her older sister, that is. Next person having a birthday, an actress who has been married to actor Warren Beatty since 1992. Who is she? Annette Benning. And how old is she today within five? Uh, 64. She is 59, so you get that. Next person having a birthday, singer, musician, Kimmy. We'll give you a sample here from, oh, a few years back. A number eight Hot 100 hit, number one on AC charts. That's adult contemporary. Here is your audio clue. Tell me who the birthday person is. I'm the only one by whom? Melissa Etheridge. Yes. How old is Melissa Etheridge today within five? Um, 54. She is 56, so you get that one. Next person, actress Kimmy. Identify who it is. Tell me how old she is today. She is famous for playing Blair Warner, the rich one, the preppy one, on The Facts of Life. Lisa Wetchel. That's good. Wetchel, that's good enough. How old is she today within five? Uh, 49. She's 54. In 2012, she was a contestant on CBS's uh, reality show called Survivor. That was the Survivor Philippines series. And she tied for second place. Now, she was also voted fan favorite and was awarded $100,000 for that. Oh. Yes. Next person, I don't think you can do it, Kimmy. It's like right, almost impossible. Soap actress. Tell me what show she is known for. It's Tracy Bregman. Do you know who she is? Um. Ooh, this is really good. Was she on General Hospital? No. No. Young and Restless. Yes. Bonus points if you can actually tell me the name of the character she played. That is amazing. Did she play... Tracy. No. Um, no. No. I don't know. She played Lauren Fenmore. Lauren Fenmore. And she was on Young and the Restless and another show as Lauren Fenmore. Can you tell me the spinoff or the other oh, show? Oh, The Bold and Beautiful. Th that's correct. She is 54 today. Next person, Kimmy. She went by 
Scary Spice of the Spice Girls. Who is it? Mel. Can't do it. Mel B. Melanie B. will accept either Melanie. one. How old is she today within five? Um, 45. She is 42, so you get that one. I see dead people. It is notable death time, 1942. John Barrymore, actor, died at the age of 60. He was an actor of stage, screen, and radio, known for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 1920, Sherlock Holmes in 1922. He struggled with alcohol abuse from the age of 14, was married and divorced four times, and declared bankruptcy later in life. Considered a great actor who basically became fodder for tabloid material during the latter part of his life. Next person passed away 2015, an American actress. She died at the age of 88, known for playing Jason Voorhees' mother, Pamela Voorhees, in a certain movie. Question for you is, what is the name of the movie? And then identify the actress who appeared. One of her last appearances ever was at Spooky Empire in Orlando, Florida. Tell me. The name of the movie. Friday the 13th? Yes, Friday the 13th. She played Pamela Voorhees. Who is the actress? Um, I can't do it. Betsy Palmer. Betsy Palmer. Yes, I had the honor and the pleasure many years before that to interview her with Robert Reed. They did a play together. And in reality, they did not get along. Mm-hmm. They could fake it for the interview. But they did not like each other. Matter of fact, she walked out. <laughs> Which we had to edit that part out. She did. She she actually didn't like him. Mm. I was like, wow. And he told me, he goes, come tonight, Patrick, and you'll see we get along quite well on stage. <laughs> he goes, it's called acting. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, okay. He go, she did. She walked out. And I thought he would... You know, call it quits. And he was like, hey, let's just keep going. I'm, roll tape. You got plenty of tape there. Let's just go. So it was kind of a cool thing. It was actually a, a moment I actually cherish. Hmm. It was really cool. That wraps it up for our Memorial Day of Trivia. Kimmy, thank you for playing along today. You did a great job. Right now, I think we'll honor something from trivia. Actually, we're going to honor Memorial Day with the Golden Age of Radio. Radio Riley and Kimmy Show. Going back in time to honor Memorial Day, we have a couple of different things here. First one's a little bit of comedy for Memorial Day. Yes, a little bit of humor. We're going to The Great Gildersleeve from May 30th, 1943. It's the episode titled Memorial Day Parade. Gildersleeve tries to uh, get into an old uniform and, well, the rest is just, uh, well, it's kind of funny. Matter of fact, Gildersleeve is fantastic. I think you'll find this uh, quite interesting. The reads are great, great performance. Good example of the golden age of radio of comedy. And it would influence television for years to come. Then we have something a little bit different. It's Memorial Day 1954. Yes, you heard right. This is an old-time radio segment of a special Memorial Day of poetry and readings to celebrate Memorial Day. You have Bing Crosby reading some stuff. You also have Agnes Moorhead and Walter Houston, just to name a few, that read patriotic poems and, and other 
things. It's very interesting. A rarity to hear. It's from 1954. Both of these are back-to-back, uninterrupted, safe for all ears. That's right, all ages. Let's kick it off with a great gilder sleeve on the Riley and Kimmy Show. Now on the summer field in the great Gildersleeve. It's the last day of May, just four weeks before his wedding day, and Gildersleeve is a busy, busy man. This morning, while others make preparations for the Memorial Day exercises, the great man is in his study, straightening out his affairs and clearing the decks for matrimony. So we find him now with pen in hand, laboring over the composition of a mighty document. I, Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, being of sound mind and body, to hereby devise and bequeath... Uncle Mort, excuse me. Yes, Marjorie? Come out and see it. Come out and see what? The flag. We've got it up. Oh, well, in a little while, my dear. Right now, I'm... Oh, very... come on. You aren't doing anything, and it looks so pretty. Not doing anything. My dear young lady, I happen to be engaged in one of the most solemn duties of a man's lifetime. Do you know what I'm writing? I think it was your last will and testament. Now, come on. But, but, hey, hey, let go. Come on. Well, let me put down my pen first. I don't know what there is such a rush about anyway. I've seen the flag before. Well, we found a new place for it, and we want you to see it. Oh, where? We hung it from the roof. How did you ever get it up there? Well, Leroy turned out the attic window. Come out in the yard and tell us if you like it. Well. We want the place to look nice when the parade goes by. Oh, and Leela's coming over, too. Good. So then. And Bertie's planned a wonderful lunch. There. Do you like the flag, Jack? How does it look to your artistic eye, Uncle? Well, it looks fine, Leroy. Only for heaven's sakes, be careful out there. Don't worry. Isn't it pretty? I think ours is the prettiest house on the street, don't you? Yeah, but I wish Leroy would get down off that roof. Hey, I'm a tightrope walker. Look, everybody. A great concolino. Leroy! Leroy, get off of that railing. Young man, you get in off that roof before I come up there after you. Are you kidding? <laughs> Leroy, you heard me. Okay, I'll right now. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> Be careful now, my boy. Oh. Uh, that crazy kid. What comes over, boy? I don't know. It's a wonder to me he's lived as long as he has. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. i got to get back to work. Hey, call me when it's time for the parade. Oh, we won't be along for an hour yet. Parades, tightrope walkers, more interruptions. People just left me alone till I get this will finished. Will. <laughs> Leroy's the one who should make the will. The great Con Calino. Oh, brother. Let me see now. I, Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, being of sound mind and body, do hereby devise and bequeath to my lawfully wedded wife. No. To my dearly beloved wife. <laughs> my dearly beloved wife. <laughs> Come in, beloved. Hi, Gildy. Yep. Hooker. What do you want? What on earth are you dressed up for? An admiral? I'm leading the parade today. Grand Marshal. Just stopped over to ask if you wouldn't join us. In the parade? Yeah. You mean march? Yes. On foot? Well, I suppose you could go on your hands and knees. <laughs> oh, no, Judge. I'm not much on marching. <laughs> My feet. You've got to, Gildy. All the younger men are gone this year, and we want them to have a nice turnout. Well, I guess I can certainly keep up with you, you old goat. I'll tell you, I'll do it on one condition. What's that? If you'll help me with my will. You're drawing up a will? Sure. Got a little start on it right here. It's here. I thought wanting to Gildy, please, being your son, mind, and body. Gildy, mind if I ask a question? What? 
What makes you think you're of sound mind? Huh? <laughs> and look at that body. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind the priceless wit, Booker. You don't want to help me, don't. Now, Gildy, I should be delighted to draw up your will for you at any other time. Right now, I've got to get down to City Hall. How about this afternoon? Well, all right, then. See you down at the parade. Oh, uh, Gildy, there's one thing that just occurred to me. Yes? On second thought, you might prefer to have another attorney handle your will for you. Why, Judge? Well, I don't like to bring this up, but we're old friends, aren't we, Gildy? Yes, we are. We've been through a lot together, haven't we? Yes, yes, we've been through all that before, too. What's on your mind? You may not be aware of this, but under the law, it is illegal for persons witnessing or drawing up a will to be beneficiaries. I merely mention this. Why? Well, we're such old friends, and we've been through so much together, I just thought, if, if you should want to leave me some slight remembrance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Judge, I'm going to leave you a lock of my hair. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, on my boy. Parades never start on time. Isn't that right, Ben? I don't know, Mr. Gildersleeve. I thought we were just going to watch it go by the house here. Well, you are, but I'm going to march in it. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, what war were you in? Uh, I was in World War One, Ben. Oh, sure. Uh, did you get to France, Mr. Gildersleeve? I should say I did, my boy. Paris. It... I wonder if you'll get over there. I suppose I might. Yes. Well, if you do, I wonder if... Uh... Leroy, will you go help your sister for a minute? Help her what? She ain't doing anything. She's not doing anything. But that's what I said. Never mind. Go away. Go up. Uh, go upstairs and bring down that picture of me in my uniform so I can show Ben. Okay. Uh, and tell Marjorie to hurry down here. Ben will walk out of it. Yeah, fat chance. Uh, uh, <laughs> what was I saying, Ben? Uh, something about France, I think. Oh yes, yes. If you should get to Paris, my boy, I want you to go to a certain number on a certain street and ask a certain party if she remembers Monsieur Gildersleeve. Bo Yank, she used to call me. Uh, will you look her up, Ben? Sure, Mr. Gildersleeve, only I can't speak any French to speak of. Well, when I first met her, I couldn't either. But inside of a week, comme ça va, parlez-vous français, le mot toujours le mot. You get the idea? Oui, oui. <laughs> oh, she was a lovely creature, Ben. And her mother. Oh, boy, how she could cook. I think you'll like her, Ben. Sure. She's a blonde, just 28 years old in 1918. <laughs> Let me see. That would make her uh, 53. <laughs> it's not possible. <laughs> oh, my goodness, how time flies. Uh, I don't care to see it now, Leroy. Fifty-three. Poor Mimi. I can't believe it. Oh, gosh, Uncle, what's the matter? Nothing. Go help Marjorie. For Pete's sake, aren't you through talking about Paris? Leroy, you're getting too fresh. Well, that's Mrs. Ransom. We have a little signal. Oh, <laughs> uh, in here, Leela. Everybody. Uh, good morning, sweetheart. I'll, I think the flag out in front looks just beautiful. Leela, I've got a surprise for you. I'm going to march in the parade. That's right, Martin. How exciting. Would you like to see his picture in uniform, Mrs. Ransom? Leroy, give me that. Oh, now, Shrock, Martin, I want to see you. 
Oh, why, you were cute in your uniform. Cute? <laughs> Wasn't he bad? Well, just let it go, my boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't understand the insignia on your uniform, Frog Martin. Both God used to have Lee on the show. Lee? Oh, well, I didn't go into the Army at the top. I went in as a private and won my promotion the hard way. How'd you come out, Uncle? Corporal. <laughs> well, I've got to get started if I'm going to be in the parade. The boys are assembling behind the courthouse at 11. Goodbye, Leela. I'm off to the war. Oh, uh, wait a minute, Clark Martin. What's the matter? You're not going to march in the parade in just that little old business suit, are you? Uh, what else? Well, your uniform, Shirley. Oh, I couldn't, Leela. Oh, but you'd look so distinguished. It would look out of date, Leela. The uniforms today are entirely different. Oh, Clark Martin, you n- never do anything, I ask you. I do, too, Leela. I just, uh, I just don't know where my uniform is. I know, Uncle. It's up in the attic. Leroy. <laughs> oh, Good for you, Leroy. Please, Rock Martin, for Leela. Uh, all right. <laughs> Leroy, you come with me, little sharp eyes. <laughs> Trunk is it in, Leroy? This one over here, Uncle. Uh, that one? I haven't got the key to that. I guess we'll just have to let the uniform go. Don't worry, Uncle. It's open. Uh, <laughs> Mothballs. Come on, Leroy. Fish it out of there. I haven't got all day. Here, here's the pants. Gosh, they look a little small, Uncle. Uh, yeah, well, this stuff shrinks, you know. Yeah? Yeah. Besides, mothballs will shrink anything, Leroy. Well, I don't find any puttees in here. Maybe we'd just better let the pants go. Okay, here's the coat. Yeah, blouse, Leroy, blouse. Oh, blouse. Funny how it looks as if the morph balls cut that down, too. <laughs> what did I tell you? Well, I think maybe I can get into it, though. Here, hold my coat. Okay. Yeah, probably be a little tight, but it'll sort of give a military effect. See? See? I got it on. Yeah. Yeah, but can you button it? Oh, of course. Uh, you ought to remember that when I was in France, I weighed several pounds less than I do today. Are you kidding? <laughs> uh, I just it feels good to get back in the old uniform. Come on, Leroy, let's show the ladies. Uh, well, folks, what do you think of it? What in the world happened to the trousers? They were shot off. <laughs> Leroy, quiet. Uh, no patees, Leela. Can't wear them without patees. Oh, well, the coat looks awfully military. Uh, I think you'll be the handsomest mine in the whole parade. I honestly do. Oh, well, that's all I wanted to know, Leela. Well, I'm off. Uh, I kiss your hand. Fair lady. Oh, don't bend over. <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't try to wear the pants. <laughs> the Great Gildersleeve will be with us again in a few seconds.
back of the great Gildersleeve. Clad in the conservative business suit, he's marched valiantly in the hot sun. And now he's arriving at his home to claim the soldier's reward. In this case, a share of the delicious lunch which Bertie's promised. But our hero's a little late, and the house seems strangely quiet. Marjorie! Leroy! Where is everybody? Is that you, Mr. Gildersleeve? Of course it's me, Bertie. Where is everybody? Well, they waited for you, Mr. Gildersleeve. They waited about two hours before they had lunch. You've been marching all this time? Oh, yes, Bertie. I marched so far, my feet are killing me. I'm so hungry, I don't care. Well, you just sit down and take your shoes off, Mr. Gildersleeve, and I'll warm up a nice lunch for you right away. Uh, thank you, Bertie. You marched so well, Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, it wasn't all marching, Bertie. We stood there in the park for a couple of hours listening to the speeches. But it certainly was impressive. Makes a man think, Bertie. Yes, sir. I'd like to be remembered by everyone. There's a man who did something for the city. Well, sir, you the head man at the Waterworks. Well, I'm Summerfield's 16th Water Commissioner, yes. But a few years from now, who'll know it? That's what I've been thinking about some sort of a monument for, Bertie. You mean like a statue? Well, I don't know. You think that'd be good? Oh, no, sir. I don't care much for statues. Huh? Now, you take them two statues in the park. Every time I walk past Abraham Lincoln standing there, I feel sorry for him. Why? Because he's been standing there so long. Yes. <laughs> well, what about the statue of General Fremont? Don't you like that? No, sir. Every time I go past that, I get mad. But why? Because he's got a horse and I'm walking. <laughs> and he ain't even going nowhere. Yeah, you're right. I'm afraid you just don't like sculpture, though, Bertie. Oh, yes, I do, Mr. Gilfrey. You know what I like? What? That fountain in front of the courthouse with the water spraying down and the goldfish swimming around down below. I like that. So do I. By George, a fountain, Bertie. For a water commissioner, what could be better? With a little bronze plaque on it. Not too little. Let's see. Uh, this fountain presented to the city by uh, Summerfield's 16th water commissioner, Throckmorton P. Gildersley. Then maybe some short, dignified statement like, uh, he served his fellow townsmen well. Sounds mighty pretty, Mr. Gilfrey. Yes, sir. I can hear the water splashing in the fountain right now. So can I. Oh, my goodness, the gravy's boiling over. Yeah. Gravy? Mmm, Bertie, I'm starving. <laughs> well, hang on, Mr. Gilfrey. You can't starve to death till you get that monument. Yeah, you're right, Bertie. I'm going to have Judge Hooker put in that fountain in my will right now. <laughs> Morton, let me ask you something. Why are you suddenly in such a sweat to make a will after letting it go all this time? Well, for one thing, I think it's a man's duty to make a will, for one thing. Yeah? What else? Well, uh, Leela mentioned it once or twice. Oh. And anyhow, I think it's a man's duty. If you can't tell, things can happen. Here I am about to get married. Gilly, it strikes me that you're preparing for marriage as if you were preparing for the next world. Now, see here, Hooker, that's not true. All right. Sorry. Sorry. I'm true, but I shouldn't have said it. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. If I'm to draw up this will, I'm going to require certain information. Such as what? Well, to begin with, how much money have you got? <laughs> yeah. Don't you wish you knew? Well, I've got to know. What for? Gildy, if you want me to help you with your will, you've got to take me into your confidence. Well, all right, Judge. What do you want to know? I ask you, how much money have you got? None of your business. If I tell you, you'll tell everybody in town. Gildy, what passes between a lawyer and his client is strictly confidential. Yeah. You know that. Come on now. How much have you got? Cash. Cash. Well, in the neighborhood of uh, $500. 
In the neighborhood. Yes. <laughs> Small neighborhood, isn't it? <laughs> it's all right, Gildy. We're neighbors. Oh, you too? <laughs> I'd be lucky if I could put my hands on $300 right now. Well, to be perfectly frank with you, Judge, I've got just 275 <laughs> And that's not counting the bills that'll be pouring in tomorrow. Isn't it terrible? Terrible, the way things are. A man's lucky being stay out of jail. Now, let's see. The insurance. Now, what about the rest? What about Leela? Of course, she has her own money. Yes. I'll tell you what I thought, Horace. I thought it'd be nice to endow a small memorial. A memorial? Yeah, a fountain, perhaps. A memorial fountain. Memorial to what? Well, uh, to the two of us. Me being water commissioner, I think a fountain would be kind of appropriate, don't you? You know, with the uh, water coming out. Throckmorton, may I ask what you propose to endow this fountain with? Well, with my residuary estate. With, the, well, the $275. Don't you think you could buy a fountain for that? Wouldn't be any Niagara. I think you'd be lucky to get a bird bath. Oh. You do, huh? Well, you know, Judge, you may think you're joking, but a bird bath isn't such a bad idea. Oh, now, Gildy. I mean it. I've always been fond of birds. Birds like me, too. They come right up to me sometimes. And Leela, well, Leela's crazy about birds. She's got a little bitty wren that's building a nest in her front porch right now. Every morning she goes out and peeks at it. Yes, sir. A man could do worse than have the birds remember him. Birds are man's truest friend. I thought dogs were man's truest friend. I'm not building any dog bath. <laughs> Horace, how soon could you get this will drawn up? Well, that shouldn't take much time. Of course, we need witnesses. I guess I'd get my secretary for one. Oh, and Peavy. Peavy, do it. I know he's open this afternoon because Leroy's working for him. Do you think you could get it ready? What's the rush? Well, I'd just like to have a judge. I'm going over to Leela's tonight, and I'd sort of like to surprise her with it. <laughs> you surprise her, all right. Hi, Unc. Hi, Judge. Uh, hello, Leroy. How's the drug business? Pretty quiet. The chief is out in the prescription room, and you know what that means. What? Oh. Leroy, that's no way to talk about Mr. Peavy. I'd like to see him for a moment, please. Oh, gosh, son, can't I wait on you? I never get a chance to sell medicine. But with you, it wouldn't matter if I made a mistake. <laughs> I disagree, my boy. Oh, just try me, Uncle. I can find you anything in the store, practically. Then find Mr. Peavy. Uh, honest, Uncle, the chief doesn't like it if I bother him about something I can handle myself. Leroy... What? Wake up the chief. Oh, all right. Maybe we shouldn't bother Peavy if he wants to sleep. What nonsense. Peavy sleeps 24 hours a day anyway. Oh, hello, Peavy. I hope we didn't interrupt anything important. No, no. I'll just take care of you, gentlemen, and then I can get right back to it. <laughs> How are you, Judge? Fine, thank you, Peavy. I saw you, gentlemen, in the parade this morning. Thought you both looked very dashing. Well, glad to do our bit, Peavy. How does it happen you weren't marching? Someone told me you were an ex-soldier. Yes, sir. I was in the artillery. 49th Field Artillery, USA. Well, I'll be darned. Were you a gunner? No, I wasn't a gunner. I, I was in what you might call the transportation end of the artillery. Oh, what's that? I commanded a platoon of mules. <laughs> You? That's hard to believe, Peavy. Why, the mule is the stubbornest animal known to man. Well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Although a 
Mule has a mind of his own, I'll admit. But they're hard workers. They are? Yes, they're hard workers. And they're loyal. Every mule in my platoon was just as loyal as a jackass could be. <laughs> Gildersleeve, can't we get down to business here? I haven't time to listen to Peavy's military experience. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, Judge. I'm just going on. What can I do for you? Well, you won't make a penny on it, Peavy. We just want you to witness Mr. Gildersleeve's will, if you don't mind. Glad to, Judge. Glad to be of service. Oh, Leroy. Yes, Chief? This is the type of service I was telling you about yesterday. Institutional type. Oh, yeah. Have you uh, got the document with you, Mr. Gildersleeve? Right here, Petey. Get away, Leroy. This is none of your business. Aunt, did you leave me anything? You've been amply provided for. Uh, sign right here, Peavy. Uh, will you leave me your pistol that's in your bureau drawer? No. Oh, please, huh? Now, Leroy, remember lesson one. The customer is always right. Oh, sorry, Chief. I forgot. All right. Now, here, Judge. That's it. Richard Peavy. Here you are, Mr. Gildersleeve, and I hope your will gives you the same lasting satisfaction as mine is giving me. Well, I hope so, too. <laughs> I executed my will in 1913, naming my wife as sole beneficiary, and I've never wanted to change a syllable of it. Neither has Mrs. Peavy. <laughs> well, I can imagine. Well, much obliged, Peavy. we got to be running along now. Well, I'm going to close you up here myself in a minute. Leroy, you want to go along now with your uncle? Are you sure you can spare me? I think so. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. Good night, Chief. <laughs> Good night, little beaver. But soon There'll just be two of us Soon you and I will borrow The moon For just the two of us Sweetly and so discreetly We'll be completely alone No other world Only our own Now we must be contented With schemes about the two of us Yes, we can have our sweet scented will come true of us for presently and pleasantly our hearts will be in tune so soon maybe not tomorrow Lila, but soon Lila Yes, Doc Martin I uh, made my will today, Lila did you, darling? How nice. Yeah, have it right here in my pocket. Uh, Leela, you know something? What, darling? Guess who's in my will. Oh, I couldn't. Uh, go on, Leela. Guess, will you? Oh, I couldn't possibly. I'm too happy to guess. I'm too happy to care about anything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then, then I'll tell you, darling. Yes, you tell me. You know that little bird that has a nest in your porch? You know the one that sings under your window every morning? Oh, Dickie Bird. I call him Dickie Bird. Yeah, Dickie Bird. 
That dicky bird has been provided for, Lena. It's all right here in the will. Oh, Strathmorton, that's just like you to remember little birds. Uh, see? It's all written out right here. Oh, darling, you have to explain it to me. I don't understand about wills and complicated things like that. Oh, well, sweetheart, in memory of both of us, I'm leaving money for a municipal bird bath. Oh, really, Strathmorton? You're the most thoughtful man. Now, I... Did you say bird buyer? Yes, dear. You're leaving your money for a bird buyer? That's right, honey. All of it? Uh, well, not all of it. Uh, all that's left after taking care of the children. You mean to stand there and tell me you've made a bird your residuary legatee? Leela, I thought you didn't know anything about wills. Well, I wasn't married to a lawyer seven years for nothing. <laughs> But, sweetheart, I thought you liked birds. I do, Throckmorton, but you're nothing but a cuckoo. Take a little joke. You mean you were joking? Uh, of course, darling. <laughs> I'm not going to build any bird bath. Uh, tell me, how would you invest the money? Well, when I'm in doubt about a financial problem, I always ask myself, what would Beauregard do? Beauregard? Well, have you asked Beauregard what I should do about this? Uh, no, but I think I know what he'd say. What? He'd say, Leela, child, you'd look lovely in a mink coat. Hmm. <laughs> Good night, everybody. On this Memorial Day of 1954, we have poetry spanning our nation's history from the earliest times to the present day, from verses and dedication to our earliest settlers, to a story and verse which can very well serve as a symbol of that precious freedom for which so many American men and women have fought and died down through the long centuries. We begin with a poem of the birth of our country. Here is the distinguished American actress, Miss Agnes Moorhead in a dramatic reading of The Landing of the Pilgrim Fathers. The breaking waves dashed high on a stern and rock-bound coast. And the woods against a stormy sky their giant branches tossed. And the heavy night hung dark the hills and waters o'er. When a band of exiles moored their bark on a wild New England shore. Not as the conqueror comes, 
they the true-hearted came. Not with the roll of stirring drums and the trumpets that sing of fame. Not as the flying come, in silence and in fear. They shook the depths of the desert's gloom with their hymns of lofty cheer. Amidst the storm they sang, and the stars heard, and the sea, and the sounding aisles of the dim woods rang to the anthem of the free. The ocean eagle soared from his nest by the white waves foam, and the rocking pines of the forest roared. This was their welcome home. There were men with hoary hair amidst that pilgrim band. Why had they come to wither there, away from their childhood's land? There was woman's fearless eye lit by her deep love's truth. There was manhood's brow serenely high and the fiery heart of youth. What sought they thus afar? Bright jewels of the mind, the wealth of sea, the spoils of war. They sought a faith pure shrine. I call it holy ground, the soil where first they trod. They left unstained what there they found, freedom to worship God. In the 1700s, we fought and won our liberty. And then, within another century, America was to go to war not once, but twice again. And to our great shame, won a war between the states in which citizen fought citizen. In the North, in the South, divided loyalties, divided homes, names like Harper's Ferry, Shiloh, Bull Run. And in the White House, a tall, gaunt, unhappy man named Abraham Lincoln. The late Walter Houston brings us a poem of the Civil War, a poem of intense sadness written by Walt Whitman upon the assassination of President Lincoln. The special musical accompaniment was written by Victor Young. Walter Houston reads, O Captain, My Captain. Captain, our fearful trip is done. The ship has weathered every rack. The prize we sought is won. The port is near, the bells I hear, the people all exulting. While follow eyes the steady keel, the vessel grim and daring. But oh, heart, heart, heart. Oh, the bleeding drops of red Where on the deck my captain lies Fallen, cold, and dead Oh, captain, my captain Rise up and hear the bells Rise up, for you the flag is flung For you the bugle trills For you bouquets and ribbon wreaths For you the shores are crowding for you they call the swaying mass 
their eager faces turning. Dear Captain, dear Father, the arm beneath your head. Is it some dream that on the deck you've fallen cold and dead? My captain does not answer. His lips are pale and still. My father does not feel my arm. He has no pulse nor will. ship is anchored safe and sound, its voyage closed and done. From fearful trip, the victor ship comes in with object one. Exalt all shores and ring all bells. But I, with mournful tread, walk the deck my captain lies, fallen. portion of this special Memorial Day program, we're to listen to The Man Without a Country, a poetic narrative by Gene Holloway, based on Edward Everett Hale's immortal story, and narrated by Bing Crosby, with Frank Lovejoy as Philip Nolan. Many of us have heard this story before. It's been read to us by grammar school teachers, or declaimed, perhaps, by stammering fellow students, in classrooms distracted by spring whispering at an open window or by an autumn kaleidoscope of whirling leaves. We heard it as a text or a lesson. We learned it long before we could conceive of what it would be like to be banished forever from the land of our birth. Told in dramatic form, the story of Philip Nolan takes on a new stature, a greater depth, a stronger meaning. We feel that upon an American holiday such as this, it is highly appropriate to retell this fine American story, and especially in Gene Holloway's exciting radio verse. And now, The Man Without a Country. Order in the court! Order in the court! The attorney for the state will kindly continue. Mr. Nolan, is it not true that you are part of a conspiracy to destroy the government of the United States? No, that is not true. 
That is not true, I tell you. Do you dare to deny your friendship with Aaron Burr? No, I don't deny that. But I do deny all your accusations of treason. Lieutenant Nolan, Aaron Burr has shown himself to be an enemy of the United States government. As an American officer, your country's enemies are your enemies. By your association with Aaron Burr, you betrayed the uniform you wear, the flag you follow, the country you profess to serve. That is true, is it not, Mr. Nolan? No, it is not true. It is not true. You still dare to defend your association with Aaron Burr? I don't think it needs defending. I only talk to the man. You don't think it needs defending. You need say no more, Lieutenant Nolan. I rest my case, Your Honor. Philip Nolan, rise and face the court. Philip Nolan, is there anything you wish to say to show that you have always been faithful to the United States? The United States? Damn the United States! I wish I may never hear of the United States again! Who was that man? Who would dare utter such treason? Let me tell you a story, America, about you and your growing. Not a story of a national hero, but of Philip Nolan who severed a bond before he knew its value. Listen to the story of the man without a country. Think back. Way back to the 1800s. Remember? You were still an adolescent then. You were proud of being a nation of 17 states. And you were beginning to speak grandly of adding Michigan, Indiana, and Mississippi. And becoming 20. Zealous old Tom Jefferson was in the White House. Down in the south was a man named Aaron Burr and a man named Philip Nolan. They say now, well, now that history has sifted the facts and weighed the evidence, they say Philip Nolan was as fine an officer as any in the Western Division. Oh, he was a little more hot-headed than some, a little swifter to anger than others, a little too quick sometimes about getting his two cents of opinion in, but he was not alone in this. There were many dashing young gallants like him, ready to die for a kiss as a flag. And Philip Nolan might have gone to his final sleep among the vine-covered homes of the dead in Orleans, as quietly as any of them, had a star not crossed his path one night. Mr. Nolan, I'm Aaron Burr. I'm told you're a young man of remarkable promise. I should like to talk to you about your future. Why, thank you, sir. I hardly know what to say. Thank you very much. A star comes that way sometimes. Sudden, blinding, dazzling. Aaron Burr came as a disguised conqueror. Rumor had it that there was an army behind him and an empire before. But that first day in Orleans, though Philip Nolan wasn't to know it for a long time yet, he became the man without a country. It was only a step from Aaron Burr's side to a trial for treason. United States versus Philip Nolan. He was bewildered, deeply hurt, embittered. Above all else, he was young. An older man would have checked his anger. A traitor would have been wise enough to hide his feelings. But Philip Nolan was neither a wise man nor a traitor. A moment's silence. And then those words that were to echo forever through his life. I wish I may never hear of the United States again! I wish I may never hear of the United States again. I wish I may never hear of the United States again. Words filled the courtroom, shivered against the walls. 
No one spoke. No word fell to combat those other words. Half the officers in the room had served through the revolution. They'd fought their way, starved and frozen through endless bitter months, so that one day a people could say, This is my country. Judge and the jury rose and left the court wordlessly. No one else stirred. Someone in the back of the room sighed and someone else coughed. That was all. Fifteen minutes went by like fifteen years before the judge returned. Prisoner, hear the sentence of the court. The court decides, subject to the approval of the president, that you shall have your wish. You will never hear the name of the United States again. It was the fall of 1807. It would be 1863 before he heard her name again. The leaves would grow red in Maryland soon. They'd be piled along the Potomac for burning. Their smoke would spiral into lace against the November skies. They'd be tapping the trees for maple sugar in the Vermont woods, and the New England housewives would gather in their spiced kitchens to prepare the Thanksgiving puddings. The Cape Cod fishermen would go out in the misty dawn for their nets, and the harvest would be a bright promise on the Indiana hillsides. The Blue Ridge and the Allegheny and the Rockies would pull the snow up over their shoulders and settle down for the winter. And the Mississippi would go slipping on through the heart of America. There would be hearth fires and Christmas trees, and there'd be dances. There would be church service and wedding ceremonial and baptismal. But not for Philip Nolan. His was the sea and the bitterness of salt on his lips and no port at evenings. And in one sudden heart-stabbing moment, Philip Nolan knew what he had lost. Sir, you will receive from Lieutenant Neal the person of Philip Nolan, late a lieutenant in the United States Army. You will take the prisoner on board your ship and keep him there with such precautions as shall prevent his escape. You will provide him with such quarters, rations, and clothing as would be proper for an officer of his late rank. But under no circumstances is he ever to hear of his country or see any information regarding it. So Philip Nolan walked the decks of the seven seas and he thought about America. But he never asked about her. He talked to his shipmates about the weather, about the sea, about all things but home. In foreign ports where he was rarely permitted to go ashore, he filled his days with reading. But in the books and in the papers given him, there was no mention of America. For him, she was only a dream that had ceased existing. He was a ghost among his companions, drifting from port to port. Listening to a word that filled his heart that reached him in the wind, that sighed from the rigging. But the waves whispered through the midnight. One word. America. The grass is blue in Kentucky this spring. Wouldn't you like to ride through it with the earth hard and firm under your horse's feet? Think of it. Earth under you. The flower girls are in the streets of Orleans now. It's almost time for the Mardi Gras. Remember the girl you kissed at the Mardi Gras? The fields are white with cotton now. The slaves are singing. What would you give to hear their voices? The snow is thick and white in New England. They are riding through it to the Christmas parties. Can't you hear the sleigh bells? How long is it since you heard sleigh bells? Leave me alone. I can't stand thinking anymore. Oh, God, let me stop remembering. I wish I may never hear of the United States again. 
I wish I may never hear of the United States again. The court decides subject to the approval of the president that you shall have your way. No! No! The men were kind enough. On Sunday afternoons when they sat on deck, smoking and chatting, they invited Nolan to join them. He had a pleasant voice. Sometimes they asked him to read to them. One day the reading sessions came to an abrupt end. Here, Nolan, let's have something out of this. The Lay of the Last Minstrel. Walter Scott, eh? Yeah, it's a new book the captain sent down. He says there's some nice stuff in it. Well, let's have a look at it. Breathe there the man with soul so dead, who never to himself has said, this is my own, my native land, uh, whose heart hath ne'er within him burned, his home, his footsteps, he hath turned from wandering on a foreign strand. If such there breathe, uh, someone else finish it. I'm something to attend to. Philip Nolan could never find peace. Ships docked, set sail, then went home on leave. He watched in wordless agony. He thought of candlelight on warm, gracious tables, of gardens where a man could crumble the rich soil in his fingers, of linens slipping on the clotheslines and the friendly smells of kitchens. He thought of moonlight on hair that was soft as silk to the touch, of eyes liquid in the starlight of lips, velvet smooth and ripe for kissing. He thought of arms opened wide to gather in the returning sailor and one special voice that would say, Welcome home. He thought of perfume and music and the rustle of silk. He was young. And there was a fierce hunger in him. Then one night in the Mediterranean, some ladies were invited aboard for a ship's ball. All that was young in Philip Nolan died that night. As he stood on deck, looking at the girl he had loved a lifetime ago. Anne. Anne Emery. Why, Philip Nolan. This is a surprise. You're looking splendid, Philip. The sea evidently agrees with you. I've forgotten how lovely you are. You must have forgotten many things. It's almost impossible to believe finding your way out here. I'm on my way home. I've been visiting in France. I tried to see you before I left. And they wouldn't let me see anyone. I understand. I was very busy at the time, anyhow. I was married soon after you left. Married? Yes, of course. Hadn't you heard? I have a little boy now. A little boy? You must be very happy. I am, Philip. So strange that we should meet again way out here. I'm a little sorry we did meet. I'd forgotten you. It was better that way. I loved you very much. I loved you and I lost you. And everything else I loved in one mad moment. Oh, my dear. I think we should get back to the dancers. Yeah, of course. And would you tell me just one thing? What do you hear from home? Home, Mr. Nolan? I thought you were the man who never wanted to hear of home again. I beg your pardon. Am I in? Philip Nolan knew in that moment how alone he was. 
One man with only the sea for the rest of his life and one nameless port at the end of it. The days became weeks, and the weeks years that marched across his forehead and left him old. His eyes were deep pools of loneliness, his heart completely empty. No one knew until the day he was dying how deep his hurt had gone. No one knew until that day when they entered his room for the first time and founded a shrine to America. Stars and stripes were draped around a picture of Washington, and he had painted a majestic eagle with its foot clasping the whole globe. At the foot of his bed was a great map of the United States, drawn from memory. Here, Captain. You see, I I have a country. Yes, I see, Nolan. How do you feel? Is there anything I can do for you? Captain, I'm dying. I'll never see my country again. But there's not a man on this ship or in all the United States that loves you as I do. Would you... Would you tell me about America? Tell you about America? How can I begin to tell you about America? He had left America in 1807. It was 1863. War had come and gone in 1812, and Francis Scott Key had sat on a British battleship and written the national anthem. Jackson had taken the Florida Territory. A new flag had been raised in Washington with 13 alternate stripes and 20 stars. Nine presidents had been in the White House. The Monroe Doctrine had been born, the cornerstone of American foreign policy. The continents of the Western Hemisphere are henceforth not to be considered as subjects for future colonization by any of the European powers. The United States had begun to gather themselves into a nation. It is not the states, but the people of the nation who have made the Union. It is, sir, the people's constitution, the people's government, made for the people, answerable to the people. Tell him about America. Tell him about Peter Cooper's steam locomotive, the Tom Thumb drawing its first train of cars over 23 miles of the B&O Railroad. Tell them about America. Andrew Jackson had moved the Indians west of the Mississippi. Arkansas, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa had joined the nation. The Battle of the Alamo had been fought in Texas and gold discovered in California. A new nation had spanned two oceans, and in the White House was the president whose words were the voice of the new nation. Of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that the government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Tell him about America, the power, the color, the strength, the beauty, the tears, the triumphs. Tell him so that he knows the glory he thrust aside. She's a great nation. A great nation. Yes, Nolan, a great nation. Nolan. Nolan. And so his last thought was of his country. Before they lowered him into the sea, they draped the flag of the United States over his coffin. How proud that would have made him. The captain intoned the last rites. The bugler played tap. And the ceremony was over. Men, we found this paper in Nolan's things. Bury me in the sea, 
has been my home, and I love it. But will someone not set up a stone for my memory at Fort Adams or at Orleans, so that my disgrace will not follow me through eternity? Say on it, in memory of Philip Nolan, lieutenant in the Army of the United States. He loved his country as no other man has ever loved her. But no man deserved less at her hands. We will do as he wished. And so, although the sea claimed him, his soul would know the feeling of land again. The flowers would be near him and the trees and the earth of America. He would know the seasons and the pulsing life of the nation. There would be a flag over him and the knowledge of belonging. And thus, the man without a country came home to America. The Man Without a Country, a poetic narrative by Gene Holloway, based on Edward Everett Hale's immortal story, and narrated by Bing Crosby with Frank Lovejoy as Philip Nolan, on Anthology, Memorial Day, 1954. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy Show. We feature old-time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old-time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy Show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y and Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of The Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.